God doesn't want to be a puppeteer. He wants to shepherd you into the person He wants you to be. This message is the fourth in the series, 10 Lessons for a Life of Significance. The message is entitled, Seek God's Guidance. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. We're involved in a series of messages entitled, 10 Lessons for a Life of Significance. I'd like to draw your attention today to the topic, the subject of seeking, discovering, experiencing God's guidance in your life. How do you find out what God wants you to do? How do you know the will of God for your life? It's been said that life is lived at one of three levels. A lot of folks are living life at what we might call the survival level. The life is hard, life is difficult, and the goal is just to somehow make it through today and get into the next day, and then the next day survive to make it to the next one. And so we live sort of from hand-to-mouth survival, and that happens at times. All of us have had those moments when we're basically surviving just to make it. It's a part of life. But hopefully at some point in our journey, we are able to move to where life gets a bit easier and we have some successes along the way, some margin to our life. That's always a good thing. But unfortunately, a lot of people think that the ultimate goal in life is success. And really, the ultimate goal in life is not success. According to the Bible, the highest form of living, the highest kind of life that you can live is a life of significance. Because success is something that happens to you, but significance is something that happens through you to impact the world around you in a positive way. There are a lot of people that never experience success as the world would describe success, but they still have a significant life. They're still impacting people. They're still doing wonderful and positive things with their life. They're still advancing the kingdom of God. And the highest form of living again is not success. It is significance. Letting God do something through you that blesses people around you, that advances his kingdom. And it's not about you. It's about being a blessing to other people, a significant life. Now, part of living a significant life involves learning something about what that means. How do we get a model? How do we know what a significant life is? And part of learning what a significant life is is, is again, finding somebody in the Bible that can teach us this lesson. And so for these weeks, we're looking at a man by the name of David. King David in the Old Testament is a great example of what it means to live a significant life. He had great success, but beyond success, he really made a difference. He was a person that really changed his world in a positive way. Throughout all the ups and downs of his own life, he really did live in a large way for others. And one of the things that made David's life significant was the fact that he learned to follow God's guidance. He understood how to follow the plan and will of God for his life. Now, did he miss the mark at times? Yes, he did. He made mistakes along the way. But overall, he lived a life consistent with following the path of God for his life. He learned how to live in God's guidance. So I want to talk to you today from David's life about how that relates to us. How can you learn to experience, if you will, the will of God for your life that leads you to this life that goes beyond success to significance? And the first thing I want to remind you of this weekend, it's a very important principle. You know it well, but let me remind you of it. You need a guidance system in your life, a guidance system. The story of King David really is an amazing story of guidance, divine guidance, because David actually arrived at his destiny because he was guided there supernaturally. 
See, God took David from being this disregarded shepherd boy out on the hillsides of Bethlehem to becoming a celebrated warrior. He defeats Goliath. It's an amazing moment for him. And then he goes through this season of opposition where King Saul is trying to kill him to ultimately arising to, the, to, to be, being the, recognized as the king of Israel. And so David goes through all these different things in life, but God is guiding him along the journey. And David's experience with God's guidance is described in one of the most familiar passages in all of his Psalms, Psalm 23. You perhaps know it well. Let me read it for you from the New International Version, the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I want you to notice some, some words in this passage. The Lord is my shepherd. I'll come back to that in a moment. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me, that's guidance, beside still waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path. Again, that's guidance. David says, God has been my guide. I've learned something about a guidance system. David was divinely guided by God. That's how he reached a level of significance in his life. His guidance system got him to where God wanted him to be. And you need a guidance system too. You need to be guided in your life. Every form of transportation requires a guidance system. Going back into antiquity, you'll note that people in ancient times still relied upon a guidance system. It may have been the stars that guided them and moved them forward into their journey. But they had a guidance system that directed them. And then that ultimately evolved into maps and charts and things of that nature that people would use to find their way to different places in the world. And then now we have in modern day world the sophistication of, of GPS and how we use those kind of things. Actually, you can carry it around with you on your phone and you can have find your location right where you are and map out a location basically to any place on the planet because you have a GPS, you have a guidance system. So transportation, moving somewhere, moving and any dimension of life involves a guidance system. The fact is, everybody is going somewhere. In your life right now, you're going somewhere. You might be going in circles, but you're going somewhere. You might be going backwards, you may be going forward, you may be going in circles, but, but your life is on the move. You're, you're moving about life, you're, you're navigating life, you're walking through life, and so you're going somewhere. Again, you may not be making a lot of progress, but everybody's going somewhere, and where you're going is determined by the guidance system you have. Whatever your guidance system is, it's affecting you, whether you're making forward progress, going in circles, or going backward, your guidance system matters. We're all trusting voices of influence in our life that are affecting our journey along the way. Now, the challenge is we don't always recognize what's a good guidance system and what's a bad guidance system. And I want to remind you this morning, that if you follow the wrong guidance system, you're going to get in trouble. If your guidance system is not functioning properly, you're going to end up at the wrong place. In the Bible, there are many examples of people who 
followed the wrong guidance system. Let me give you a few examples of these. So stay with me just for a moment. I want to underscore this fact of how you can get on the wrong track by listening to the wrong voices. Numbers 31, verse 16, it's about a prophet named Balaam. And Balaam influenced God's people in the wrong direction. Notice what happens. They were, talking about God's people, they were the ones who followed Balaam's advice, enticed the Israelites to be unfaithful to the Lord in the Peor incident so that a plague struck the Lord's people. So the group of people that followed the advice of the bad prophet Balaam ended up being plagued in a dimension of their lives. They suffered because of being on the wrong track, following the wrong guidance system. Deuteronomy 4, 3 and 4 continues the story of Balaam. You saw with your own eyes what the Lord did at Baal Peor, the Lord your God destroyed from among you everyone who followed the Baal of Peor, but all of you who held fast to the Lord your God are still alive today. Some folks following the wrong guidance system lost their lives. Their people losing their lives today. Yes, literally, but certainly spiritually and emotionally by following the wrong guidance system. First Kings 16, 26, talking about King Omri, Omri of Israel. He followed completely the ways of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, committing the same sin Jeroboam had caused Israel to commit so that they aroused the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, by their worthless idols. So here's this king that made a decision to follow the wrong example, the example of evil king Jeroboam. Jeremiah 7, verse 24, but they did not listen or pay attention. Instead, they followed the stubborn inclinations of their evil hearts. They went backward and not forward. So because they're following the wrong guidance system, following the stubborn inclinations of their evil hearts, they ended up going backward, not forward. Notice what Paul says to us in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, as for you. You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. When you followed, notice guidance, when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest. We were by nature deserving of wrath. First Timothy 4 verse 1, the spirit clearly says that in the latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow. There's a guidance system. Follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Jude 1, 16, these, are, these people are grumblers and faith, faith fault finders. They follow, there's guidance, they follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. All of these represent guidance systems that are faulty that get us to the wrong place in life. Where you end up, listen, where you end up in life is determined by the guidance system you follow. If you don't like where you are today, you need to make a change in your guidance system because you are where you are today because of the guidance system that you followed in your life. David understood that he needed a guidance system. You and I need it as well. Number two, the second thing, to get the best guidance, very obvious, but very important, you need the best guide. To get the best guidance, very simple, you need the best guide. Guidance really is not complicated. It really isn't. I'm going to help you to see today that the guidance of God is not, not a very strange or complicated thing at all. It's actually fairly simple. If you want to be guided right, you have to have the, have the right guide. 
number of years ago, I was invited to South Florida, actually to the key area, key, Keys area of South Florida for a, for a fishing trip. And so as a missionary friend of mine who invited me down to do some fishing on the Keys. And so we got there, got ready to get on the boat early that morning to go out fishing. And he said, I want you to get on the boat with me. There were several of us there and several boats that would be going out. And he said, I want you to get on my boat because this is a special boat. And so I said, well, wh- why do you want me to get on your boat? Why is your boat so special? And he said, because my captain knows where the fish are. Amen? Good. Mike, he's the best captain down here in this particular area of the Keys. He knows right where the fish are. So I want you to have a good experience today. I want you to catch some fish. I want you to go with me. We'll send the other ones on the other boats. Okay? You come with me. And so we got on the boat. The two or three of us there on that boat. We went out, found ourselves in the Gulf Stream and started throwing the lines in. I'm telling you, we're pulling fish in right now. I mean, the fish are jumping in the boat. Okay? Not literally, but they're, we're, we're catching a lot of fish. Okay? And the reason was because he knew where the fish were. So he got back to the dock that night, and guess what? We had a whole bunch of fish. And the guys that went out with the other boats were, had a little disappointed look on their face because they never caught quite as much as we did because our captain knew where the, where the fish were. See, it makes a different difference who the captain of your boat is. It makes a difference who your guide is. And the right guide will get you to the right place. Now, when it comes to choosing a guide, if you've ever gone any place before, you realize you have to choose guides. If you're on a journey somewhere, you need a guide that'll help you as a part of some familiar territory. So anytime you choose a guide, you have to pay attention to certain things. You got to do a little research to get the right guide, right? So I'm going to tell you four choices that are bad choices when it comes to a guide. Four things that you don't want to do. You ready for these? And I'm going to tell you the right way to to choose a guide, but let me tell you the wrong way first. You can choose yourself. You can be your own guide, but that's a really bad idea. If you don't know where you're going and you're trying to guide yourself to where you don't know where you're going, then obviously you're not going to get there. Proverbs 14 verse 12, there's a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end is death. And so many times we've gotten ourselves in trouble because we were advising ourselves. We were trying to map out our own journey for life. Not a good idea. You can also follow the advice of ungodly people. It's a bad choice to listen to people who don't know God. If you're trying to do the right thing and you're listening to people who aren't doing the right thing, that's not the place you want to go to get good advice. And so you've got to filter that out. Notice Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. Oh, the joys, the happiness, the blessing of those who do not follow, there's guidance, do not follow evil men's advice, who do not hang around with sinners scoffing at the things of God. But they delight in doing everything God wants them to do and day and night are always meditating on His laws and thinking about ways to follow Him more closely. They're like trees along a riverbank bearing luscious fruit each season without fail. Their leaves shall never wither and all they do shall prosper. So the voices you listen to matter. We don't listen to the voices of the ungodly, people who are not responding to God or living for God. No, because we want to follow the voice of God as it's described here in verses two and three that leads to a fruitful life. Thirdly, you can follow the currents. I'm calling it currents of this world. The world that we live in, listen closely, the world that we live in is an anti-God world. Would you agree with that? Okay. Don't, don't fool yourself. The world around us, the activities of the world, they're not going toward God. They're going away from God. Okay. And so if you just kind of pop into the world and start living your life without any kind of real guidance, proper guidance system, any kind of power in your life to push against the current of the world, then the current's going to take you somewhere. 
if you've ever been in water anywhere that has a current, you realize that if you just sit, sit still in the water and you don't turn your engine on, then it's just a matter of time before the current's going to take you where the current is going. You have to have an engine, some kind of power that pushes against the current that directs you where you need to go in the midst of a current. The world has a current that is flowing toward destruction. The Bible says wide is the path and many their own, that pathway that leads to destruction. And so following the world means this. It means I'm just going to do what everybody does. I'm going to believe what everybody believes. Everybody believes this. Everybody does this. If everybody's doing it, it's got to be right. No, it's not true. If everybody's doing it, it doesn't make it. Not everybody does the right thing. In fact, most people oftentimes do the wrong thing in the world system that's around us. And so we have to make the decision to say, many times I have to go counter the world. Amen? If you're a Christian, guess what? You're going to be different from the world. I need to say that again. If you look like and act like and talk like and smell like and live like the world, nobody's going to ever understand that you have a relationship with God. And so real people have real relationships with God. They're different from the world around you. That's why sometimes the world's not going to understand you, okay? That's why you'll get persecuted. People will make fun of you at times. That's okay. It's okay. Why? Because you've made the decision to get on the straight and narrow path that leads to eternal life, right? By the way, this world is not going to last. It's not going to last. And so we've gotten on a path that leads us to eternity. And I, I, I would much prefer to be on the path that leads to eternal blessing than to just immediate gratification and acceptance of people around me. And so if you're living like the world, the world's not going to push back against you. But if you're living for God, I promise you, if you live for God, there'll be times that people will push against you. They will oppose you. They will not like your, your influence on it, around them. And so we can let the currents of the world drive us. And a lot of people, even Christians, are being driven along in life by the currents of the world. Listen to what it says here in Romans 12, verse 2. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will. Notice that for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Number four, here's a bad choice, but you can do it. You can choose to follow, follow worldly wisdom and worldly philosophies. You can let the world educate you as to what, 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 how to think and how to behave and, and, and the philosophies that often you'll find in the world around you. And it's a very dangerous way to live. 1 Corinthians 3, 19 and 20. For what the world says is wisdom is actually, what's the next word? Foolishness in God's eyes. The world says, well, I'm so wise. I know everything. Got this knowledge. God says, well, what the world says is wisdom is actually foolishness in God's eyes. As it is written, the cleverness of the know-it-alls becomes the trap that ensnares them. And again, the Lord sees right through the clever reasonings of the wise, this worldly wise, and knows that it's all a sham. First Timothy 6, 20 and 21, Timothy, guard what God has entrusted you. Avoid godless, foolish discussions with those who oppose you with their so-called knowledge. Some people have wandered from the faith by, what's that word again? Following such foolishness. Now, suppose you were planning to go on a trip somewhere. Just imagine with me, me, me for a moment that you have a destination, a place that you want to go. And so you think, okay, I need a new navigation app to get there. I, my phone, I need something new. I'm not sure my old ones are going to be effective for this. I'm going to go to the, to the app store. Everybody with me now so far? Yes. We're talking high tech here today, I'm telling you, okay? <laughs> so we're going to go to the app store. I'm going to download a new, a new navigation system. 
So you go to the app store, you start looking at all the different navigation systems that are available, and you begin to read the reviews of all the navigation systems, and all the reviews basically say this, of all those that you look at, does not work, does not work, does not work, does not work, does not work. And all the consistent reviews of each of the navigation systems that you're looking at, thinking about downloading to your phone to use to get you on your trip to your destination, and all of them say, does not work, you would be foolish to download and use them, correct? Why would you download an app that everybody says it doesn't work? But this is exactly what people are doing every day in their lives. They're downloading, if you will, apps. They're listening to ungodly friends. They're letting the world direct the way that they, they go. They're letting the philosophies of the world influence them. And they're just downloading all these apps and following them. And none of them are going to get you where you really need to be in life. Are you with me? So you, listen, you've got to be careful what you download, right? You've got to use care in what you download. Some of you need to go home today and delete some guidance apps from your life, okay? That you've been listening to the wrong voices, you've been following the wrong ways, you've, been, you've installed the wrong guidance system, you're letting the world guide you, you're letting yourself guide you, you're letting, if you will, the philosophies of the world guide you. You need to say, you know what, I need to get rid of the apps that don't work. I need to clean my phone up. I need to get rid of that stuff that doesn't work. And I need to download the right app. And there's only one right app. And David understood what the right app was. The Lord is my shepherd. Amen? If you have any app on your phone, it better be that one. Any app for your life, it needs to be that one. The Lord is my shepherd. Let me talk to you about that phrase just for a moment because I want you to understand it. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything that I need. I have everything that I, I, I have necessary for resourcing my life. David could have described God in many different ways in this psalm, but he said, the Lord is my shepherd. God is shepherd. Actually, the original Hebrew is this, Jehovah Rohi. It was a compound name for God. God is shepherd. Now, David understood shepherds because he was a shepherd. He understood what shepherds do and shepherds, shepherds lead and shepherds feed and shepherds protect and shepherds guide and shepherds govern. And David said, when I think about God, I know that God, it's not just that he does these things. He is this. God is shepherd. Jehovah Roh, he, he leads me and he guides me and he, he governs me and he protects me. He's in my life. He is Jehovah Rohi. And I have some really good news for you today. The same God that was David's shepherd wants to be the shepherd of your life. And he came into our world and his name is Jesus. And when you open your heart to him, he will come into your life and he can, you can have a resident shepherd living inside of you. The guide can live in your life. The prophet Micah, in foreseeing the time that Jesus was going to come, prophesied a very important prophecy that Matthew records in his gospel, in Matthew chapter 2, verse 6. Listen to what he said about the coming Messiah, Jesus. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. So now he's pointing out prophetically, many years to come, I see something going on in Bethlehem. God's showing me something that's going to happen in Bethlehem many years from now. The prophet Micah is speaking about, and you're by, by no means, you're a little bitty town, but you're not least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you, out of what? Out of Bethlehem will come a ruler who will, who will what? Shepherd 
my people, Israel. Now, basic Christianity 101, where was Jesus born? O little town of Bethlehem. So Micah the prophet saw that out of Bethlehem, the one that would be our redeemer, the one that would be our ruler, the one that would be our savior, out of Bethlehem, he would be born and he would be the one who would shepherd people. So he comes to be your shepherd. Even Jesus himself identified himself as a shepherd. In John chapter 10, verse 11, uh, beginning there, it says, Jesus words himself, I am the good shepherd who lays down my life as a sacrifice for the sheep. But the worker who serves only for wages is not a real shepherd because he has no heart for the sheep. He will run away and abandon them when he sees the wolf coming. And then the wolf mauls the sheep, drags them off and scatters them. I alone am the good shepherd. And I know those whose hearts are mine, for they recognize me and know me just as my father knows my heart. And I know my father's heart. I am ready to give my life for the sheep. I want you to notice that Jesus didn't just say, I am the shepherd. He said, I am the good shepherd. What is the adjective? Good. Interesting word. I love words. I love understanding the etymology of words. And this is one of those rich words in the original Greek language that brings insight to us. When he said, I am the good shepherd. It actually points to an understanding of a word in in the original Greek that means this. It means a variety of things. But one of the major things that this word good means, it means I'm the competent shepherd. Competent. Why is that important? Jesus, Jesus was not just saying, I'm a good shepherd. I'm a good guy to hang around with. I'm nice. No, that's not what he was saying. He said, I'm the competent shepherd. See, when I get sick, I want to go to a competent doctor. How about you? I don't really care that much if they're nice, right? It's good for them to have good bedside manners. All that's great. But I want to know, do you know how to help me, right? I'm sick. Do you have the capacity to diagnose what I'm going through and give me something that's going to put me on a pathway to cure. And so I'm looking not just for a nice person. I'm looking for somebody that knows how to do what they say they're going to do, right? I want a good doctor. A good doctor is a competent doctor. I want a good shepherd. I want a competent shepherd. And Jesus said, I want you to know that I am the competent shepherd. I have the capacity to get you to your place of significance. I will lead you. I will guide you. I will govern you. I will protect you. I will be there for you to get you where you need to be in life. I am your good, competent shepherd. You can trust me totally. You can obey me fully. You can follow me confidently. I want you to hear Jesus saying that to you today. I am your good shepherd. I want you to trust me totally. Just to put your life completely in my hands. Trust me totally. And Jesus says, I'm your good shepherd. I want you to obey me fully. Whatever I ask you to do, I want you to do. Because I know what's best for you. And I want you to follow me confidently. I want you to know that I'm going to get you where you need to be. And what that means is this. It means that even when you don't understand stuff, if you're following the shepherd, you're going to be okay. Because you can trust him totally, you need to obey him fully, and you need to follow him confidently, because if he did it for David, he'll do it for you. He is the Lord who is our shepherd. Listen to this promise that Solomon gives us. Solomon was David's son. Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived. 
How did Solomon get his wisdom? He got it obviously from God by study, but I believe some of this wisdom that Solomon had in his life, he also got from his father. And he wrote these words for us, inspired by the Holy Spirit in Proverbs 3, beginning in verse 5. You know it well. Trust, I'm reading from the Passion Translation to give us a little different spin on it. Trust in the Lord completely and do not rely on your own opinions. With all your heart, rely on him to guide you and he will lead you in every decision you make. Become intimate with him in whatever you do and he will lead you wherever you go. Don't think, this is verse seven, don't think for a moment that you know it all for wisdom comes when you adore him with undivided devotion and avoid everything that is wrong. Perhaps you know it best this way. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Dear ones, today you need a guidance system in your life. Everybody has one. And to have the best guidance system, you need the best guide. And the best guide is Jesus. The psalmist said, the Lord is my shepherd. And the last point I'd like to share with you today is this. God's guidance really is about who you're becoming. It may sound a little bit different in terms of the point as it relates to the other two points, but I'm going to tie it together here for you. I want you to listen closely because this is the secret. I believe it's the secret of guidance. How do I know what God wants me to do with my life? How do I know what he's guiding me to do? I believe here's the secret. The statement says, again, God's guidance is all about who you're becoming, who you're becoming. We have some misconceptions, I think, when it comes to God showing us his will. I think we have this tendency to think that God wants to give us all these different specific things about his will all the time. And really, God's guidance in your life isn't about God making every decision for you. God doesn't want to make every decision for you. Let me say that again. God doesn't want to make every decision for you. But God wants to help you to become the kind of person who always makes the right decision. You got that? Are you with me here? Listen closely, because a lot of people get confused about this guidance. I need God to guide me. So they get really weird about it. Okay. Oh, God, today, should I wear the white shirt or the blue shirt? Okay. Do you want me to go to McDonald's or Burger King? No Wendy's. Okay. It's like, no. You know, I'm exaggerating a bit, but this is how a lot of people live. And they're weird. Okay? They're just weird. Okay? It's like, always. God's got to tell me, what's, do I turn right or do I turn left? I don't know. Just stay in your lane. That's all I care about. Just stay in your lane. Okay? So we had all worked out about this guidance thing. Listen, that's not how God wants you to live. Parents, listen to me. You don't want your 50-year-old kid coming asking you every decision to make in their life, do you? Right? It's like, Mommy, what do you want me to do? Son, you're 50 now. I think you can make a decision. Okay, right? Okay. So God's not interested in making every decision for you. Now, listen, let me, let me tell you what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that there are not times you ought to go to God and ask him for decisions. There are times that you have big decisions in your life that you're trying to figure out what to do. And it's appropriate to go and say, God, show me what you want me to do. It's absolutely appropriate to do that when you're making major decisions in your life. The Bible says if you lack wisdom, ask God. He'll give you wisdom. And so it's appropriate to do it. But generally speaking, the way God guides you is that God guides you by changing you, okay? So when you become more mature, more ma when, you're, when you're, your maturity helps you make better, de better decisions, right? Okay? So it doesn't become all mystical. God says, I'm going to grow you up and teach you my ways and show you how to live so that you do what I want you to do. And so you don't have to, 
I'm not a puppeteer up in heaven sort of pulling your arms and legs all the time to get you what to do. I'm trying to put my wisdom into you so that you'll learn how to live. You'll grow up and be a mature child of God and do what I'm wanting you to do because it's in you. It's who you're becoming, right? And David understood this so clearly. I love this passage. Let me unpack it for you in just a couple of moments here. Look at what David said. Let me read it to you now from the King James Version, New King James Version. If you'll turn to the front part of your, your notes there, you'll see it from the NIV, but I'm going to read it from the New King James. I want you to hear the difference, and I want you to note some words as we go through this. We're just about done, and this is valuable for us today. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Got that? Read it again. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me. Now, David tells us what God does for him. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. David says, this is how it works. This is how guidance works. This is guidance made simple. Can we dare say it this way? This is guidance for dummies, okay? This is what it is, okay? Guidance made simple, okay? Here's how it works. The Lord is my shepherd. I don't need anything. I'll have everything that I need in him. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. The first way that God guides me is he guides me to food. He guides me to the resources that I need for nourishment. So he makes me to lie down. He's given me green pastures to feed in. And when I feed in those green pastures, I'm able to have the strength that I need on the inside. And that, that represent, represents to us the, the green pastures of God's Word, that God guides us by leading us first and foremost in His Word. God will never guide you to do anything that is contrary to His Word. His Word is the settled deal. He doesn't add things to it or subtract things from it. The Word is the Word. It is a settled deal. It's the Scriptures given to us. In fact, Jesus himself said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of his Father. And so Jesus, God, comes into our life and he begins to say, I want to guide you now. The first thing I'm going to do is get you in the Word. I want you to get into my word. I want you to feed on the green pastures of my word. I want you to get the word inside of you because as you get the word inside of you, it's going to mature you. It's going to give you wisdom. It's going to give you the capacity to discern and understand things that you couldn't understand any other way. I'm going to educate you with my word. And so you'll think different from the world around. You'll think the way that I think because your thoughts aren't my thoughts. Your ways aren't my ways. But you get in the word. You begin to be transformed by the word. So the word begins to build you up. Up on the inside. And so he leads you into the green pastures. That's why you need to feed on the word. You will never walk in the guidance of God without getting the word of God in your life. You need God's word. It will make you strong. It will get you through anything. It is the word that will carry you forth in life. That's why you need to be in love with the word. So he leads me in green pastures. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Then David says, now, oh, time out. There's a second thing. He makes me drink from the quiet waters, right? This is how my shepherd leads me. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet streams, the quiet waters. What is that all about? It's representative of our fellowship with God. See, the fellowship with God is not just about reading your Bible. You can read your Bible and still not know God. There are a lot of people that know a lot of the Bible, but they still don't know God. 
They have no relationship with God. And so we, we, we come into this relationship with God where there's, there's a quiet stream of his presence. We spend time with him in worship. We develop our intimate relationship with him, that we're hanging out with God and letting God hang out with us. And we're worshiping him, not just when we come to church on the weekend, but we develop a lifestyle of worship where we love God. We let God love on us. We're in his presence and spending time with him. And so he leads me into the green pastures. He leads me, makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet streams. I'm able to experience his presence. David says, time out. That's not all. He restores my soul. Wow. What does that mean? It means this. David said, as I'm in the word, as I'm in his presence, as I open up my heart to him, God begins to do something inside of me. He restores my soul. He fixes the broken places in my life. He mends my hurts and he heals my wounds and he helps me to experience love in the midst of my rejection. He does for me on the inside what no human being can do. He fixes me. He's the, he's the lover of my soul. He's the savior of my soul. He's the restorer of my soul. This is important today. Because every person in this place, our Frederick Campus today, everybody has a broken soul. Everybody. Whether you realize it or not, you're messed up. Okay? I'm messed up. Amen. Shake your head, say, yeah, that's me. Okay, yeah. Okay. I'm messed up. The pastor knows me. I'm messed up. Yeah, I am too. We're all messed up. Okay. Everybody's messed up because we're messed up by sin. Sin messes you up, okay? The fact that we've walked away from God and done things our own way, it messes you up, okay? Everybody's messed up. So if you think you're not dysfunctional, you are the most dysfunctional, okay? There's not a single completely healthy person in the world. That helps you when you begin to realize that everybody's broken, everybody's messed up in some way, okay? And when you're messed up, you live messed up. Are you with me? The more messed up you are, the more mess you create. I need an amen right there, okay? Either an amen or an oh me, one of the two. Let me say it again. The more messed up I am, the more mess I create, correct? Right? So if I'm messed up, I'm just a mess waiting to happen. Everywhere I go, I generally create a mess because I'm messed up. And so here's the thing about brokenness inside of you. When I talk about brokenness inside of you, I'm talking about those things that are in you that are unique to you that distort your thinking, that mess up the way you think, that mess up the way you feel, wounds in your soul, rejection in your life, fears that you carry, anxious things that grab hold of you and torment you in certain ways, things that perhaps nobody else knows about, but God knows about what's in your soul. He knows what's hurting you on the inside, and he loves you enough as the shepherd to say, I want to fix that. I want to restore your soul. Why? Here's the thing, because you can't walk in paths of righteousness if your soul's messed up. You can't walk right if you're not right, okay? And so God has to heal and do works of healing in you so that you can then walk in paths of righteousness for his namesake because your soul pain will keep you walking crooked. Your soul pain will keep you making bad decisions. 
I promise you, you take somebody that has issues with trust in their life, they had one relationship after another that has disappointed them and broken them and hurt them deeply over time. When they try to get into another relationship, do you not believe all that baggage comes along with them? Of course it does. And so it hurts their next relationship. And so they try to do the right thing, but they end up doing the wrong thing. Why? Because they don't have their soul restored, okay? And part of the way the shepherd works in your life is this. He says, I want to take you into my word. And I want you to get into the word, but not get it in your head. I want you to get it in your heart because as you learn the word, then make sure you spend time in my presence worshiping me. So the word doesn't just get in your head. It gets down in your heart. Gets down in your soul. And then as I begin to work in your soul, I start fixing you on the inside. You start feeling healthier. And then you will walk in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And now what happens is this. You begin to walk in the will of God because the will of God has been worked in you. See, the will of God is not something out there I'm trying to find. The will of God is something that happens in me that guides me in my walk. It's, it's guidance made simple, okay? Can I ask you today, as we're wrapping up, have you invited the shepherd into your life? Listen to the last passage I'll give you. In Psalm 32, verses 8 and 9, listen closely to this. There's an instruction to us, and there's a response from us. God's word to us, I will instruct you, says the Lord. And what's the next word? guide you along the best pathway for your life. Did you hear that? I will instruct you, says the Lord, and guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch your progress. That's God's promise to us. Now, what's our part? Here it is. Don't be like a senseless horse or mule that has to have a bit in its mouth to keep it in line. Don't you love God's sense of humor, okay? God says, I want to do this for you. I really like to do this. I want to guide you. Watch your progress. But would you just do one thing? Would you stop being so stubborn? Would you stop being like a mule that I have to put a bit and have to drag you around? You have to go through all this pain unnecessary in your life. You're always going through stuff you don't really need to go through because you're just stubborn. You just don't want to cooperate with me. So would you just cooperate with me? Would you just let me be shepherd in your life? And would you... Would you trust me totally? Would you obey me completely? And would you follow me confidently? That's all I want you to do. Would you move over from the driver's seat into the passenger side and turn the wheel over to me? Would you let me be in charge of your life? And I promise you, I'll get you where you need to be. David, through all of the ups and downs of his life, understood one thing. The Lord is my shepherd. Would you bow your heads together with me as we pray? Father, thank you for your word today. We're grateful for the wonderful word of God. Lord, so amazed at how you put in scripture exactly what we need in our lives. And I thank you that you've spoken to us today. And I pray for each one of us, especially those who perhaps are maybe following the wrong guidance system. I pray that whether it be our our own lives that we're charting the course for ourselves or listening to the wrong advice of other people or maybe listening to worldly wisdom and the philosophies of the world around us, whatever it might be, God, I pray that you'd help us to, to delete those apps, to get rid of those, those mindsets, Lord, to let go of them today and to begin to trust you as the shepherd of our soul. And I pray that you'd give us an appetite for your word. I pray that we would long for the word of God, that we would become 
Lord, insatiably desirous of the word of God and getting into our, into our hearts and minds. And we would learn to spend time with you in your presence and let your Holy Spirit, Lord, just saturate us with the presence of God and work that word into our hearts. And Lord, we pray that you take all of that and, and restore the broken places in us so that we can walk in paths of righteousness for your namesake. And even though we might walk through a valley, we have the confident assurance that you're going to get us through because you're with us. Lord, seal this word in our heart. We pray today in Jesus' name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me, and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray. And you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out, and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God, and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus, I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out, and you become a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to church-redeemer.org slash a new you. We pray that this message was a blessing to you. 